Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hello, listeners. This is Nick from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, and I'd like to welcome you to part two of our two-part series of Vampire the Dark Ages 20th Anniversary Edition. If you have not listened to part one, I recommend that you do so before continuing on with this podcast. For everyone else, I'd like to welcome you back, and please enjoy the rest of the podcast as we pick up at Chapter 4. Rolling through Chapter 4. Chapter 4, we told you we are going to skip a lot. This is not different. Mm-hmm. This goes over uh-huh. character creation, and I will tell you, of all the books, it's the best character creation section they've had. Simply is. Goes over everything. You know, essentials of life and unlife, all the way down to the lovely, lovely, lovely awarding experience points. All in one spot. And you can check it out, see what it is, enjoy it, live above it. We're not going to spend any time on it, only because you know a lot of it. Does that mean you should skip it? Nope. My advice, make a DA20 character when you go through, look at it section by section and love it. You understand it and you'll appreciate the insights they give you. Chapter 5, however. This is a bit different. (laughs) Chapter 5 is the disciplines and i need to tell you there are a lot of changes in the disciplines way more than we can cover in one podcast we're not gonna do a special one on it only because get the book get this book understand there are a lot they got going on it's awesome combination disciplines a better explanation of blood sorcery better meaning it's more concise and easier to digest Mm -hmm. high level disciplines why they're here how to use them what to do with them how one might learn the disciplines it's not just sitting in a mentor's knee it can be taught from beasts in extreme moments. It can also be something that uh, you can't learn without someone teaching you. And a lot of people feel if I'm a vampire and I can learn in power with my blood, any vampire can learn it. That may be true. But if you are not a clan with blood sorcery, um, you're not going to spontaneously know how to do it unless someone shows you how to work it. That's the point. And some, of, some disciplines are intuitive, but they're kind of highlighting those differences that represent a social culture amongst the damned. It's that simple. And this is more than just for Cane Bros. That's what I'm talking about. This helps Cane Bros soften and maybe be players. Maybe. I mean, this is right here, probably what? Rehab for the Cane Bros, what they made right here uh, to <laughs> check it out. Why do I say rehab? They do a bomb way in a different way. It's not just a simple series of things with animals and blah, blah, blah. It gets more diverse. I think personal. Personal is the word I'm looking for. It's tailored to the clan you're about to play to understand that play and what it is. Does that make sense? I... No, no, you're, you're, you're preaching. Cool. As long as I'm preaching. Now, uh, the other aspect is, is like, I like how they talk about aspects. Aspects is often the sleeper, one of the main sleeper uh, disciplines ever. That's what Malkavians use when they run around prophecy and aspects and we lose half the game with the storyteller trying to find a way to give him something cool because he's reading the bones or whatever it is. No. No. I have to tell people aspects is psychic. Because it is. That's its origins. It's the beast's hypersensitivity to what's around it to interpret it as the beast sees it. But your logic is there. You are that beast. And if you're not a white yet, you're going to reinterpret that information in a different way. Case in point, telepathy is a series of images. A strong connection in a series of images is how it communicates. A lot of people use it to pass notes. Hey, I'm thinking this. Don't forget I'm doing that. And you're downplaying it. You're ruining the fun of that discipline. Uh, when you do it, only because 
what you want to do with that is to give an image of what they want to do so that the person interpreting it might not interpret it exactly the way you delivered it. To me, that's fun. It's engaging. Or the storyteller goes, you read this NPC's mind, here's the images that are in their mind. Now, if you took the different skill sets to help explain or interpret what that might be, that's stuff you could do. You know, and it talks about how with aspects not active, maybe you could suddenly get something because you have it, period. Right? Your senses are not... It's not that your senses aren't active while you have the discipline. They represent there should be a benefit of you having aspects, period, and some capacity. And here's some things you might want to try. And that's what I took from it. In fact, I didn't just take from it. I stole from it. This is my, <laughs> this is my belief, right? This is, this is what happens for it. They also go over overstimulation in a, ver in a very important way uh, for the book itself. Celerity, potence, and fortitude is different in this book. Mm -hmm. You need to read it. Is it better? I've heard arguments. What's it called, Brentron? Taste great. Taste great. Less, less feeling? feeling. There you oh, go. Less feeling, yeah. There you go. Okay. There you go. I was like, That's what nice. are you doing to me? He was almost <laughs> there. He was almost there. <laughs> Correct. It's, it's an argument where it's opinionated. Mm -hmm. Right? How does celerity, potency, and fortitude want to run it in your game? It's forever been the great unbalancing for any storyteller. In one run edition, it's one blood, get all your actions. And they're all combat actions, and you have super blender cane bros. In others, they're saying you only get half that you could use as a, as attack actions, and the rest have to be different actions entirely. But you get a ridiculous boost to the speed you can do over land. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's it going to be? What are the other versions? Who knows? How do you want to do it? And a lot of players take this stuff, and they only focus on celerity, potency, and fortitude. Yep. I'm not saying it's wrong. Far from it. But I'm saying that whenever you go over a section like this, and those three things stand out, and you look at them, I often think of how it looks like to have them more than anything else. For instance, the age-old argument. If I take a child flaw, and I was embraced, and because of the culture I'm from, children were possible to be uh, insightful to the gods, pure. And I was embraced to retain that purity in my day. And I happen to have three poets. And I only have, though, one strength. Does that mean that until I blow blood to activate potence, I'm basically a little childlike and can't do much? Well, no. My potence is still there, and it's supernatural at that. But the reverse argument is true. What if I am just a person who has two strength and one dot of potence, and this door's in my way? Suddenly I can't get through a simple door because I only, I only have three strength by mechanics, even with that potence. So am I SOL? My argument's no. It's supernatural strength. That's what they're trying to hammer home. Forget the mechanic. It's supposed to be supernatural strength. It's supposed to be supernatural speed. It's supposed to be supernatural endurance and the ability to heal quickly from damage to survive. That stuff you hammer home on your own, they give you more than enough insight. I've seen many authors, they're no different here, try to rewrite the wheel and kind of help you soak that point in to make it cool for you. You got to do your work in your own lab, but the gist is there, and they do it justice here. Now, there are some weird derivatives from disciplines. For instance, quietus, crucitus, or hermetus. Well, we all know the Asimites split into three, mm -hmm. right? Inner, some want to call bloodlines at this point. They're not bloodlines. Different effects of training. And quietus is no different. They're using that repeatedly for effect. So their viziers are going to learn quietus a certain way. The warriors are going to practice quietus traditionally, as intended. But then the sorcerers are going to use it differently, right? Sorcerers have a basis of attacking spirits or demons, really specifically demons, is what they're going after. 
but a Vizier, Quietus almost helps them do a former presence. You know, it enhances their usage with it, opens people up and to be able to wiggle in and get deals done. Not bad. Not bad at all. And they, they highlight that in this book to give them flavor and difference. It's no different when you look at the Salubri with taking Valorant and splitting it into three different packs. There's a reason for that. They're different. Here's their differences. However, where every one of you should go, Abyss Mysticism, what? Every Lissamber I know wants to dive into Abyss Mysticism. They want to say, I, of course, have that cool stuff. It's in my wheelhouse. Do yourself a favor and look at how many NPCs in the book written before or since have Abyss Mysticism as a main focus. I'll stop you. Not many, because it's terrifying. Because of all the disciplines that exist, of all the things and derivatives that go on, anytime you have a discipline that says, well, here's a ritual and rite you can practice, stare into the abyss, your eyes become cold black forever, and you can see in night, and you have this eternal chill, there you go. Sure, that's the mechanics of it. I want you to think about it. You're in the room with your loved one. It's COVID. We're on lockdown. And they come walking in the room, and they've, they've, been, real, they've been in their room all week. They've, they've stuffed little towels under the door, whatever. They got a good book from Amazon delivered. You know, it only took them nine months to get it, but they got it. I'm exaggerating. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, Amazon's being beaten in the floor. But they get the, <laughs> they get the book, and they're in there the entire time, not taking food, not taking drink, nothing. And then you're like, knock, knock. Might want to shower. We got pizza on the table. And you hear from the room, oh, pizza? That'd be nice. But they open the door, and when they touch it, it's ice cold to the touch. And you wonder what the hell's going on. And when they step out, it's really dark in that room, and you go to turn on the lights, and they don't work. However, the moment they leave the room entirely, suddenly the lights are on when they're not in it. And then they get in the kitchen to get the pizza, and uh, you know you're like, "Hey, your drink's gonna be a little cold," and they pick it up, and you notice it's frosting over as they're drinking from it. And then more importantly, when they sit down and grab that pizza, the lights dim, and you're like, "Are you okay there, Cheryl? Like, should I? Is something going on?" And she looks at you, and, and you just notice in her eyes there's solid black. How does that? My roommate would be getting eviction notice at that point. I don't know about you. Uh... Now, now that's some white nonsense. You said an eviction notice. Let me tell you what I would do. <laughs> you sit at my table. You got black eyes. You icy chill freeze and everything. You eating pizza with demon eyes. There's an ass whooping I'm giving you because I need to do something to disable you so I can leave. Right there, you told me you want a divorce. We're done. I bought the house. It's yours now, devil woman. That's completely yours. I don't, you think I want it with you gone? What did you do in my room? Like Amazon's getting a scathing letter about trafficking hell books and making people do that. My point is, abyss mysticism should have a reaction to someone knowing it to open that up. And again, they provided it because there was such a demand uh, to have it, right? The Angelus Terror is a derivative of the Lasombra, and it's like, well, what is the special thing about him? Well, it could be abyss mysticism. How about... Just abyss mysticism in general is spooky. And this you'll see more of this later. Just I do, I'm sorry I went too long on that, Nick. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Nick rips me all the time. You get in the weeds. Well, maybe I like weed in the garden. Anyway. I'm um, sure his eye was twitching and he didn't know why. <laughs> all right. So, Coldonic Sorcery. Again, point of contention, but I'm going to take this quiz time. My staff online, uh, when we, uh, we run games for our fans, um, one of the big things that was asked was the differences between Coldonic Sorcery and why they're so different and changed. Now, we talked about this team. I'm going to quiz you here. This is all you. What's Kuldonic Sorcery? And what's Prynia? 
Cranio is the uh, is the the natural magic of the world, and I believe also retaining the spirits. But called Dunic sorcery is a corruption of that from Kupala. Real quick, if that is a Polish word, it's European, and if it's Krena, Krenia, or some other weird vowel speech, I apologize in advance. We're pulling the American card here. Yeah, so we're, we're trying. Yeah, we're I, doing the I'll, best we can with pronunciation. I'll be up front. I have a Tennessee public school. Education. I am not going <laughs> to pronounce every word fine. in this book correctly. <laughs> Don't you dare say it. It's perfectly fine to have a Southern education, sir. You okay. continue. All right. Uh, what was I saying? Crania. Yes. Crania. Uh, a, a natural magic. Uh, seems druidic, I guess, to me. But Caldunic uh, sorcery is the the corrupted is a corrupted uh, version of that that was corrupted by Kupala. I wonder how many times I can say corrupted. In a sentence, and it's as still many times out. as Kapala can be mentioned to be corrupting. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, so to to recap, unless you want to add, DJ. No, you're you're fine there. So yeah, what they're saying is, is Krania is the actual Kuldanic sorcery to begin with. That's what it is. Krania is the pure form of Kuldanic sorcery. That is the pagan practices of the bonding of the spirits of the land that their 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 sorcerers used. Now, Koldun almost I want to say it was the Zemis revised that has it in there and tells you Colden is just sorcery. Practitioners of it. Because you, do, you don't want to call them witches, right? Witches is really uh, a different culture entirely, kind of coined the term. You don't want to do that. It's like it's like a druid priestess. Is a druid priestess. Don't call her a witch. Right? There is a distinctive difference. Colden does the same thing. Now, for whatever reason, this got kabunked, meaning uh, the kind of ker- kerfluffled or whatever cute word you want to use to say it got confused for a lot of people. They hash it out here. Long story short, before Kapala, the Krenya, they're what were practiced, and they're region-specific. They're specific to the land they're from. They give you three beautiful examples of it. The Black Sea Krenya, guess what? Black Sea, you use it there, it's stronger. You can still learn it and go other places, but that's where you should hold it as home and tradition. Transylvania Krenya, guess what? Transylvania is where you should use it. But you can, obviously you get the examples. The point is, they don't tell you that this is all there is. This is just what they created for the book. Feel free to create more, and they give you a guideline. Right? As long as you stick to the theme of the region it's from, you're good. Well, how, Bob, how would I know? Would there be German crania? Like, if I'm from Magdeburg and I'm there, could I not be pagan? Could I not have Koldanic sorcery? Yes. Yes, mythical person in Bob's head. You certainly could. And what you got to do is sit with your storyteller, ask them for what they're going for, check some balances, and you're good. But do note this. Kodonic sorcery you'll find elsewhere, typically in the modern, becomes highly elemental. It goes from that to just covering like fire, earth, water, and it's still Kodonic sorcery, but that's supposed to be the demonic influence of Kapala, meaning when he gets a hold of it and twists it for the modern, you now are tied to him, and he made them more powerful, right? We're not limited to the region now in getting your power. If you walk the earth, Kapala is there for you, and you pull on him. You just have to honor him by making sure you follow the clan weakness of having your homeland dirt surrounding you while you sleep. Which is all Zemis anyway. Why? Because you're evil. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the evil thing to have. And that's what goes on. But that's the corrupting difference. That's it. It's all Kodonic sorcery, but just know those two differences and you're cool in the game. Now, genius loci. A lot of people don't understand this. When you read it, they're like, what's the point? The point is, it gives you an area of influence. Yes, Bredron. Who, I have no idea how someone can look at this and think, what's the point? How is this not useful? 
This is incredibly useful. Like why? In, why is it useful? Like genus loci, right? It is it is a a bonding of your your environment where you are, right? Uh, for uh, people that want to know the mechanical effects, you can perceive everything within a certain limit, right? At uh, the low level, it's within fifty feet. I don't know about you. I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night to some creepy noise in my house. And I'm like, hmm, I need to go check that out. But I really don't want to. If I could just perceive what was in my house with that while still laying in bed, that would be amazing. Obviously, that's comedic. But I can see, I, I can think of a handful of different ways this could be like, um, uh, this could really turn the tide of a, a scene or a very dangerous situation if you could just know what's behind the corner. What's below me, above me, on behind the wall? But wait uh, a second, Brimtron. Isn't it just like Auspex, a high level? At a, a high, almost elder level? Uh, yeah, they yeah. get to you early. Isn't that what Genius Loka is? Just advanced Auspex? That... If, if you're just looking at it as a straight mechanic point, uh, you're, you're close, but I feel like that's missing a huge point of this. What's the point I'm missing, then? That this uh, this is a type of magic that deeply connects you to uh, your the land you inhabit to your home, right? There is a very huge. Um, uh, your passion's in the right place. The part of, the part that we're not on, that we're not hitting. DJ's looking at me like he knows it. Um, no, I was I was I'm I'm flabber- I, okay. you know I'll throw it out there and see if I can get it. Essentially, especially reading it, it's. It, Whereas Auspex comes from self, this is tied to the land, this is tied to the fact that you are also part of the cult on itself. So you already made that contract, you're just expanding upon it, and you are now part of it. Hmm. Seems weird they would do that. It would only be a distance, looking at it, that would be it. Seems weird, right? There's gotta be something else. Am I not able to use powers through Genius Loki? I would dare say yes. Because if you're aware, this gives you, especially if you know where something's at, then they just gave you a homing beacon of where you'd be able to cast. It does. Right? What do you think, yeah. Brentron? Um, yeah, uh, it, it, it would. It would be a thing that you can uh, uh, combine your uh, other skills um, with. As it states from the book, and I'll help you with that. It says, flat out, furthermore, the Koldun may invoke any Koldunic power he possesses anywhere he can perceive, mm-hmm. so long as the level of that power is equal to or less than Dodson's genius loci ability. So what that tells you is, it is not just an Auspex uh, shortcut to power. It's not what it is at all. And I would argue even the Auspex powers are very different for their own usage as well. And you are both correct that if you hammer home that spiritual connection, that's really where the power lies, but it's more than that. It says I am truly the master of my domain. Everywhere I could see and perceive, you will feel the master's wrath or his respect and hospitality. Yeah, Brent John. I just I, I I think I feel I need to say this for Mike, be the cane bro in the room for a moment. This power can also cut straight through obfuscate with apparently no roll. I know many people that would want that uh, useful. So for my cane bros out there, if you're thinking about making a magical cane bro. This might be a direction for you. But I'm going to tell you the reason why Bob truly loves it the most. And that is because Dracula, in his past, uh, the way they had him in the book, lightweight. It's whatever. Overstylized. I don't feel he's that anything. 
When I think of Dracula, I think of Bram Stoker's out of the book. You know, the way he was written was a terrifying figure where the land seemed to call to him and he owned it all. And there were many effects he could happen on his land. And one of the cool things is, is Gladonic sorcery brings us home. It sings to it. Because imagine, you have genius loci, and sure, it's Gladonic sorcery, but nothing says that if you know the Krenia, you can't learn the elemental corrupted path. Even if it went there, right? You mean, over time, who knows? However the story is, even if you don't, there is a power. Quite a few. Tone of Secrets opens up Gladonic sorcery by ritual, too. There is awesome that is stored in there to hammer home just why a player will feel that they are truly as amazing when they have it. Having vicissitude is lightweight. It's lightweight. It's uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Great. You, you're that alien running around interpreting whatever. You know, I'm not saying body horror doesn't have its place, but at this point it's played out. It's been done a lot. You need to update it a bit. Give me a little more to tell me why Zemis is awesome. And they said, okay, we have all this culture for the Zemis, but we don't really have a power to sing for it. Oh, well, we have Kuldanic Sorcery. And they're right. Onyx Path, had list, Onyx Path listened. The writers listened. And they went, boom, here it is. Crania. Learn it, love it, enjoy it. And Genius Loci ties a lot of that together. That's all I'm saying. Spending time to let you know. All the discussions happening on why it's cool and what it is, I hope that answers it for you. Definitely for us, at least I feel, for me especially, that makes it an amazing power unto itself. It's a culture power tie. Now, is necromancy evil? Is it inherently evil? I wouldn't say it. I'm going to put it simply, uh, yeah, I don't believe a single good thing could ever come from uh, commanding the dead or communing with the, the world of the dead if you're on the living side of it my vote would be yeah it's evil what about you dj i think it's a sham i think they made you believe it's evil that's only because that's how they paint it from a moral perspective however it's it's just a science it's, i mean to me it's just like well i can't even say a science because we're talking magic here but <laughs> i think it's just a way <laughs> it's just a way of doing things can you do it sure hmm, i don't think it's evil though so we know don't stay at DJ's house. Um, yeah. yeah it, is evil. it is evil uh, to go that route. To say it's not is ridiculous. Uh, think about how you learn this stuff, right, folks? I'm just going to point this out. I guess you could say it's about morality, but you're playing a vampire. If you're playing a necromancer and, uh, I don't know, you're studying the dead to force it to do things, I, how is that good? Right? Because look at the belief of it spiritually. People at rest have gone to God, and you come along going... I wonder where Uncle went. He knew the secrets of how to make that special grilled cheese I like. <laughs> oh, well, look. It seems to be that the only thing left behind is his wedding ring. Oh, his wife, the widow's in the other room. Hi. Pick up the ring. You will come to me. Ah, you've interrupted my sleep. What did I do wrong? You're bound for me a year and a day. Why? I want grilled cheese and I want it now. Now, go tell your wife. Make it. Right? I mean, there's things you can do. Can you be... A good person with necromancy. Here's what I'll say. If you add the maturity to it, they highlight necromancy is supposed to be dark for a reason. You're not just negotiating with the dead. You can be the type, but the way you learn it is my point. Whoever's instructing you this this path, these paths, or whatever one you're going to be on, note the source. You can't, you can't have necromantic control of the dead without violating the dead mm -hmm. in some capacity. So inherently, you're violating your own spirituality. Right? Just a bit. Right? So maybe you're a vampire. Well, who cares? We're splitting hairs at this point, Bob. I agree with you. But vampires aren't good. You are not good. You're an undead being that sucks the life from people. That's what you do. 
Can you walk the road to redemption? Of course, that's why the game exists. But if you're learning necromancy, that sets you back just a little bit. Because then you got to figure out, how do I use my evil necromancy path to come forward and, and, and be better in what I have? And I don't know, your guess is as good as mine. You're going to walk around and do some 13 ghost stuff and help people resolve their issues with the past, I guess? I mean, the sky's the limit. I would just rather take the medium merit, retain my humanity, and not be a necromancer. I'll just negotiate with the dead, which is what medium lets me do, and help them that way. And uh, save the digging up a corpse and defiling it for someone else. And uh, to, to figure it out. Now, that said, every flavor of necromancy you want is in this book. And their mm -hmm. descriptions, are some are horrific. And I'll prepare you for that in case you're easily triggered. They're, they're quality. They're quality. And not all are violating. Some are just the ability to see the land of the dead. And to communicate with the dead. And whatnot. Go that route? You kind of got me. That's more of your medium light. But it's still under the house of necromancy. Why would you only go that far? Bob believes why miss hell by that much. <laughs> right? I'm going to dive in. You give me all. Give me everything. You give me a little bit. <clears throat> I digress. So thaumaturgy's here too. The greater and lesser paths are defined and explained because there are. And it gives it more of an education feel and a progression feel than simply a smattering of getting and not. And they open it up to clan specific thaumaturgy rituals as well, which gives you more diversification with a smattering of combination uh, disciplines to make anybody happy. So that's, uh, that's golden. Chapter 6, we see rules again. They're back. What is this doing? Well, very simply, uh, rules here tells you about rolling dice, multiple actions. Why I like that they did this? Why I like this section at all? This is for the storyteller. If you know something's coming up, that big combat, something else, reflexive rolls and things like that, there's tons of advice of how to handle it quickly and to get through that endless die rolling system. They even talk about using the storyteller system here uh, in this book, and that's it. It's worth it. Helps you out immensely. Chapter 7, Dramatic Systems, or as Brentron put it, what is going on? If there were rules already, that was the previous chapter. And what the hell are dramatic systems? Dramatic systems seems to be more rules, like automatic feats. Why isn't that just rules? And I had to be like, Brentron, how in the world are you going to handle like a feat of strength? And then he quoted me, well, a feat of strength is mechanics. And I went, yeah, but that's a dramatic system. Oh, and the light came out. Right? That's how that goes. Now, I'm funning with them, but the point is, is that you have to know that. It's one thing to know the very bare-bones basics, which is the rules to help anybody, players included. But then a lot of players skip dramatic systems. A lot of storytellers skip it. And you come up with your own methods of doing it. But what the dramatic systems do is they help you understand how you might apply physical, mental, social feats, automatic feats, specifically. Spending willpowers in this section. Blood pool. The blood oath. Combat systems. Everyone loves combat. And it's here. Right? Quick and easy. Help you out. Now, One thing I have to say to that as well is, in, for anyone who's interested in derangements, um, the derangement breakdown in this book is by far, I think, the best I've seen out of any vampire game so far, or any vampire line. And why I think that's the case is because it also breaks it down by segment. And what's even better from it is it gives you two options, right? Um, the first option is from point of character creation, let's say you're, you're building Malkavian. Mm -hmm. It'll it breaks it down into those particular segments that give you the opportunity, like discretion, divine pleasure, the sins of the soul. Where is your character coming from? And then it'll kind of narrow or help narrow down a couple of options that you wanted to play with. Or in game, your character starts developing these, you know, these derangements, for lack of a better term, if only because it's put in the book. Then 
where did it come from? Good. This is exactly the segments that you'd be able to kind of take a look at and pick a derangement that feels appropriate to where it stemmed from, especially if had you failed or botched, you know, a, a conscious role or a, a virtue role or had earned it in game. But I thought the, the derangement section for this was, was fantastic. I agree. I agree. Uh, but, and then it winds up with states of being after derangements. And that's where you get your uh, deterioration, what that's like uh, morally, diablery, uh, mechanics we're talking, uh, diseases, how they might impact you, but definitely your chronicle. Faith is the important thing amongst here. I was rolling to it. Faith is something to look at and know, especially in the dark ages and the modern. Just give you a little snippet of how you might mm -hmm. use it in a vampire game. I think it's done smart and well. I think it's done smart. It's done very well. Good job. You get a gold star. Anyway, uh, we, we get to Frenzy and Rashrek. That's one of my favorite sections to read. I almost read those at least once a week out of this book specifically because I like the way they put it. It helps keep it fresh in my mind of how to portray it. But um, chapter eight, rolling on. Storytelling. Bob, your favorite chapter. You're correct, those who've ever listened to me. I do enjoy this section very much. The storytelling commandments are located here. How to make your world is here. World building, uh, representing other cultures tastefully. I was asked once, I'll bring this up. I was asked, what do you do if I want to run a chronicle about Native Americans being in it because it's the Wild West and we want to be vampires? I, they, they said, where else? We'll just keep it topical. And you want to put vampires in it. And uh, what, what it's like to be in that time. Do I just ignore them because it's very saucy to do it and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to tell you what this section will tell you. If it really is a hot button for people, just put it in the background, right? Historically, you can use it. Should it be a focus? Not if it's going to offend anybody. And you will know your players. Just ask that around. However, you can also set up a story and say, hey, this is going to deal uh, with the, the different cultures, no matter what region it is, that, that it has that. I researched a bit. I studied it. Got some terminology down. I want to try to portray the world that we're going to play in, even though we're not in that part of the world. To try to give it some spice, and I think it's going to be fun. Set your table right. People will enjoy the meal every time. And this is the same thing, and that's what this says. Give respect, and respect is given every time. It's not eggshells. It's about being a human being and just handle it appro appropriately. Improvisation for storytellers and players. They go over that. Tips and tricks. Trust me, you love it. Play styles, collaborating, facilitating the story before and after character creation, and sometimes during character creation. Storyteller characters, how to take them from being the typical, hi, I'm a storyteller, I'm playing a bookkeeper, you can't kill me because I'm Kane. Right? The typical. Anything the storyteller plays can't be taken, that's what a lot of players think. Um, you're wrong. Almost universally in every game you're wrong. Sometimes new storytellers don't get that. But this gives you a guidance how to flesh that all out, make it approachable and enjoyable. Now, antagonists and storyteller characters are further down here, but they make it easier. Remember I mentioned Faith? They broaden that out with more rules, miracles, and the whole nine here. They also get into a section about mortals, and they give you templates for those mortals are most commonly found. Uh, animals are in here, ghouls. My favorite part are demons. Now why I race to get here? We just did a book about demons. Mm -hmm. There's a reason. Right? I can't even remember. Was it Destiny's Price? No, it wasn't it. It's a different book. Devil's Do. Thank Devil's you. <laughs> Devil's Do. Destiny's Price is a mage one. Sorry. Devil's Do. I apologize. I do know mage a little bit. but uh, You could have said Destiny's Child then. We would have been in a whole different world. <laughs> a whole different thing. So, but, De but Devil's Do, we just went through and talked about demons. You'll be startled if you were like, that's the gospel truth and we haven't got it. So in the update, of course, we'll get those demons. You won't. 
That is not what this is referring to, the demons in here. I wholeheartedly stand on this version of demons because it's not specific. It gives you that they're, they're, they're demons. They come from hell. We don't know what that is because we're not from hell. We shouldn't. It's a vampire's perspective. It should be the great mystery. We know there was a titanic struggle. Someone figured it out and whatever. But guess what? We're not them. And so as vampires, if we're encountering this, it's the most common ways we will. And they give you samples of the type of demons most likely you'll choose to use in your chronicle. But feel free to make more. And they give you quote-unquote charms. If you're a fan of werewolf, you'll love it. Because it brings it together. I get charms if I'm a werewolf fan. Because they, they include that for their spirits. To explain what they can do. And their spiritual powers. They even go into exorcism. Exorcism's cool. Use it. Love it. I love it. It's awesome. Green soup. Young priest. Old priest. It's not the life. So it's, it's just there and included. Uh, chapter 9. The dark medieval world and what's going on all over the world. I won't touch this because it's very, 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 very dry. But it covers from uh, the city-states all the way down to the Mongols. And it's anywhere you want to run a chronicle based on vampire up to this point that you've heard or even read about. You can get a grand idea of what to do and how to live it, love it, and explain it and represent it right here. And uh, one of my favorite places is Lithuania in here. I'm certain other folks have ideas, but that's uh, it's a bomb place. Um, Rome's another good one. It's in here too. So love it. Enjoy it. And uh, Nick likes the Mongols and the steppe people. Even though he's not here, I have to mention it. Because of the bow. He likes that the Mongols wrote a bow and that the game gave him stats where they could shoot an arrow through armor or a castle wall. So he claims he's wrong. Okay, we're moving on. So anyway, we, get to, we get to Appendix B. And uh, I understand we're going over the mark for an hour here. It's necessary. Book's over 500 pages and we're at the end if that gives you an idea. It's pretty thick. If you came this far, and of course you did. Um, we're now looking at the differences of Apocrypha that they have for the clans. And so what I'm going to do is, I'm going to tell you a story. We have letters from Carthage in here. And if you thought we forgot about Sugar Shorts, the glorious <laughs> Kenneth Bale Sahar, doo -doo 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 -doo, he still makes it in this book. He makes it right here. And they talk about the letters from Carthage, and it's a powerful two pages. Because what it governs is it talks about how you have a guy who's working for uh, the prince at the time of the area in Carthage. And the prince is pissed. And he's, he's talking about how they're going to throw out the Malkavians. They're going to throw out the Venture. And Carthage is going to last forever. And even when they leave, like fleas will discard him from the carcass. And we'll begin anew. Because Carthage can't be down. And then he's shot through the heart with a flaming arrow and he turns to ash in the spot. That's what happened to that Jack. And immediately they start telling you... Well, this dude might not have been as cool as he was because people remember him as a coward, first and foremost. But what's interesting, sure didn't sound like a coward when he was up there in war telling people what he had to do. And then it kind of rolls along, and the moment I saw Tanith Balsahar, I was like, son of a bitch! Oh! <laughs> Bali! They're everywhere! And this dude sits back and does it in a beautiful way. There's a general serving that prince, and um, might even have been the seneschal, but I kind of felt he was a warlord of a type. And he runs around, Sheriff, excuse me, that's the term. He runs around looking for Tanith Bale. Because there's all these rumors that someone's sacrificing innocents and children to appease something to keep all these uh, 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 people at bay from coming into Carthage and doing what they're going to do. And he, that's a letter he sends directly to Tanith Bale, letting him know I'm coming. 
And when I arrive, you're going to welcome me and we'll come in. And if you're wrong, you're going to be punished. You're going to be killed. Expect it, Jack. Well, then he sends a letter back to the prince after hanging out with all Tanith Bale. Um, and it's a different story. Right? Because Tanith Bale did have a correspondence, and I forgot in there, where you get the insight of his personality. Where it's like, oh, I understand. You have to do what you have to do. Come on in. Follow the sound of the flute. And when you come in, you'll realize that uh, what I do, I must. And I'm not afraid to do it. And so I don't fear your judgment. Come. Understanding is what you need. And he does go there. And then he sends a letter back to the, his prince. And he goes, look, I quit. You ain't shit. Um, as it turns out, Tanith Bale is the only guy in this entire city who's, yeah, he's killing children. But he has to. He has to appease some ancient curse from long ago that was laid out upon Carthage itself. And he has to do it. If he doesn't do it, they're easily going to get the powder coming and take us. And right now, he's all that's holding them back by appeasing them. And I sat there and went, you beautiful, beautiful authors. It's so good to read that, to understand how the corruption went. The ebb and flow, and you couldn't catch it. And that's that's it. They They literally get you amped up for like, there must be more letters of Carthage. I must know. What what else was happening there? What was Bruja like? What was it all like? Is it all true? And basically they go, no, no, no. You get a taste. I give you a little, you taste it, make up the rest. But you have enough to run on. Make it your own. And they do that without having to say that. I adore it. I adore it writing like that. It's exactly how you deliver it to help people make their own games that much more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Cult of Lamia is terrifying in here too. I won't get into it, but let's just say when you have a scholar trying to interpret what the Lamia is, and then someone's like, I see you stepped in it, and I see they have a hold of you. Good luck. Enjoy your journey. This may be the last time I ever see you, but thumbs up. And that's that. And I was like, that that's a different take. Uh, the Gangrel, the last age of adventure. Everyone, I told you didn't care for the Gangrel too much. I now care for them. Mm-hmm. Because of the section. They literally give a purpose to the Gangro, the last age of adventure. When I read that, I was like, what? It talks about finding the great prey. What it's like to watch out for them, to go for it, how they're fighting against an era where there used to be all this wild, un, un, unconquered land where these great mysterious predators and prey exist, where they, if not tempered, if they were out there hunting them down and finding them, they might grow in strength to kill everybody. you know. Or if you leave them to their, their mystery, where they're at, um, they are content and they don't have to worry about it so much type thing. It's a weird belief, but why I dig it? I like Conan the Barbarian. I'll be honest, I enjoyed that since I was a kid. And very much this was like the tales of high adventure. And suddenly I was like, oh, the gang grow are all Sumerians running across the lane. Okay, all right. I'm good. You brought me to the fore. In other words, I can get behind it. The predatory nature, what it is. Cool. And this makes them different than who? The Bonson. What are the Bonson? Touched by darkness. Me hunt now. I kill things. All right. We move on from that. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the Joe finding the up and coming. They give you tons of advice on how to run it and uh, what to do and not do. Sort of a caveat in tour. You know what they turn into. Should you run it immediately? Uh, it's up to you. They, their advice? No. They're not there yet. But uh, do you. And, and they give you a little bit of snippet of how to do it. And uh, it's delicious. Road of the Abyss. I shouldn't have to open this. Mm. I think you understand that it's scholars writing about, hey, I encountered some weird shadow stuff and met a dude that nearly put me in Torpor to see him, and I can't sleep without knowing it exists. What do I do, sire? And the sire says, stay the hell away from whatever the hell that was and get back over here. <laughs> and I was like, Mwah. 
Road of the Bist done right. And then you go, well, if you're on Road of the Bist, here it is. You don't need to give it more attention because if uh, you're not learning now, you're not gonna. And that's that. Malkavians get a piece in here. Mysterious Spirals I mentioned. The Raven of the Clan Paradox. That's good. But uh, we had a talk in here about a great gem that was worth mentioning. And that gem was the Code of Samil. So guys, tell me, what, what did we find out about that? The Code of Samuel is everything and nothing at once is what I described it. And the reason I say that is because um, earlier in the book, it'll describe to you, especially in the um, clan section, in terms of what roads are typically walked upon, especially by the, the Silurian. You have three of them. You have your warrior, your dealer, and your washer. How it juggles between Road of Heaven, Road of Humanity, Road of Chivalry, Road of Kings. And yet this, this, this path espouses almost both. And this is why I say it's its own unique thing. Um, and what made it interesting for me, and as I was learning it, firsthand was you don't see this anymore because obviously there, there's a there's a specific path that he took all the way to the end right it's buried and if you ever find it well then good on you but for when it was written and for the path that this person took he, he was able to blend two pieces of a puzzle together to walk that perfect path it almost feels like he was in a zen-like mode or at least that's the way i'm kind of viewing it from my perspective interesting very poetic dj Brenchon, what was your version uh well, my version was that this this um, path that's laid out here uh, is a well, it's a it comes directly from the code of Samael, the uh, the Salubri who decided I would no longer be a healer and said I would go and fight and rid the world of this great evil, and this is the path that I believe is actually laid out. This is a path that I think has a purpose and a very specific one to fight that evil. In this case, the Bali. Well, not even just them, right? You can expand it to other stuff, but I think that was the... I feel like this was a missile that he made back in the second city uh, that he just shot out and is continuing to, to go on finding its, um, well, the, their great enemies. They call it in here, the path that the Code of Samuel walked, they call it the uh, the righteousness, mm-hmm. right? It sins against it. And that's the base path thing where they talk about aiding demons, bodily satellites, or other evils as being completely the wrong way to go about it. Because you hunt those down. Your goal is to eliminate them. You know, you're to cauterize the wound. Or as they say it under the ethics of vindication, it is the duty of the warrior to bleed so that others might not. Evil is a font of corruption. Healers can solve the wound, but it must first be cleansed by fire. Aid must be offered to those in pain and protection to those scourged by evil. I adore that they have this in here. I cannot tell you how many years people tried to make the just the, the Code of Samil some super hyper-stylized blessing from God that granted them superpowers. And I think that is interesting to go there, but it loses its flavor. More importantly, because it wasn't anywhere anybody can guide and say, yeah, I want to walk this, I think it's entertaining uh, for story. There was no guide for storytellers to let it in, and therefore the answer, unfortunately, was no to players. Because uh, a storyteller didn't feel comfortable having to give you that. So if you read Clan Book Salubri, it's Dark Ages first edition book, and you look up the Code of Samil, they talk about it being lost or that it can't be found and only a few can be on it, whatever. I like that they re-put it in the book and go, no, nah, it can. It's right here. Check it out. What it is, it's not typical. There are warriors who are uh, Salubri warriors. They don't follow the path. But that is the Code of Samil. So if you want to say someone has that blessing or was taught that, that's what they're on. There you go. Have fun. And I dig the hell out of that. It's give you the choice and here's some guidelines. 
So, Bob, I have a good question for you. And this, and the way that Brent trying to had phrased it makes me think of it, right? So, if if Samil was on this, this, he launched this missile, right? At what point does this missile lose, or why would this missile ever lose, you know, rocket fuel, especially when you take a look at it compared to the Road of Blood, right? Because both of them are on this this zealot type of like this holy mission in one way, shape, or form, right? So, where did Samil, and maybe not to get too far into it, but where do you think Samil lost the heat on that rocket? Whereas the the Asimites, or rather the Banu Hakim, continued down the route they did. So I won't call them Banu Hakim at this point because they're still very awesome here. And uh, the children of <laughs> uh, right so there's, a, there's a misconception about that. I'll state that the Banu Hakim are cool in their own right amongst the sect they're in, but that is not the whole of the clan. Mm-hmm. That is an aspect of them, not the whole. It can't be because the, the Asimites, the children of Hakim, predate Christianity and thus Islam. That has to be acknowledged. Commonly played, Banu Hakim are what they're called, and I will always make that distinction. At this point, we're dealing with the children of Hakim, and because of that, they're sentinels, is what they refer to them out of this book. There are judges, and then there are sentinels, and they make that distinction because what a judge is, is someone who's going to go along the area and, and be sent where the clan needs them to do that work, no matter what it is. And a lot of those warriors converted to Islam because they were out and about in that method. When I think of a sentinel on the path of blood, that is someone who sensed the second city when Hakim was asked to guard the second city, you know, out of the book of Nada as went or what have you. Um, he made, he was there to do that. That's what he was asked to do. So that's what he did. And when he put these sentinels there, they were like watching angels, if you will, looking out for corruption. Now, if you look in the Asimite revised book, it tells that story. It tells you what went on. And they more than give a head nod to the Salubri for their efforts as well. But you must ask yourself. If the Salubi were there, and Samil definitely was, and he sees these children of Hakim going through great effort to morally judge others, not just to kill them because they did something bad, but to give chances and lessons and who knows, but when vampires go bad, they're the first to jump to handle it, sort of the vampire police. Okay, cool. Who goes after the corruption in the first place? Who comes after their enemy that is going to swallow them whole and they can't see it coming? And Samil stood up and said, it'll be me. That's who goes after him. We have healers aplenty, support the Sentinels. If we're to protect our city, we must go at the source. That's what has to happen. And he took this path, and he took this road, and he left with it after giving his blessings to others who agreed with him. And he took the war to the Bali. That's an epic story. It can't just be open and shut. And when you ask, is that story done being told? I say no. Not in my game, not ever. When you think about the great jihad and the warring of ancients, how would that be over and done if the Bali are still alive, if Hakim still rocks, and if Salat's children are still out there? More importantly, as a warrior lives and breathes somewhere, there should be someone who knows this code still walking that path, because that's awesome. That's mm-hmm. epic. You can't ignore it. And when you tie it all together, that's why it's here. And I swear to you that these authors knew that. You know, it's not just give them what they want. Let's do what makes sense and give it honor. Don't leave it dead on the table. That not only does it sell books, you get old people like me involved in wanting to have to have it. So I hope that answers that question. Oh, it does. Uh, last but not least, you get more uh, tort or court, courtly romance. It's quick. It's cool. It's impactful. How the courts of love might operate, what the point was. Some example. More importantly down here, more importantly in the sense of you probably got a good idea from it from previous books as well. But there's some refresher here. Zemis, the Dragon's Claws, the section talking about the Dracul, Koldun again, their revenants of Kapala vicissitude, and the essential debasement of Clan Zemis. Read it if you call yourself a fiend. 
understand them culture pieces and find your place in it. A lot of people talk about wanting to be it, want understand it, wanting to use it and how to portray it. They heard you in this book is where it lives. And that is why I fundamentally say right here at the end, if you don't have this book, buy two. You buy one to keep with you. I don't care if it's a modern game or not. You keep that with you because there's a lot of reference points of history and good rules and cool things to help inspire you for a new character. Second reason is, is because I have two. And I also have the PDF. And I often say that it's not a waste of money to me. I have a book I'm going to use often. I have a book I'm keeping because that's mine. You know, it's reserved, looks nice. Then I have the PDF where you're getting the most usage from. And I wholeheartedly support it. And this book gives me, this is the book that gave me the confidence Onyx Path is more than the right company for everything we do with Hobby, with what goes on. And uh, the other companies jump up too to have that. And as we get to their books, we'll review it. But this was, this was awesome. The authors here in this book, I, uh, Jesus, they weren't paid enough. I'll tell you that right now. They fixed an entire genre and made it digestible and more than replay valuable. So that's my take. I love that on my end. I think from my perspective as well, uh, this book was so crisp, so, so crisp. The art on it is beautiful. There's so many things you could start learning from it and apply to the modern. Um, that That's what I took away from it as well. Uh, I would, uh, uh, to make uh, three out of three, I would highly recommend this book if you were ever wanting to run uh, a Dark Ages game. Uh, this is um, this this is the book that I was playing in and running, and this is... Um, I, I feel like there's very little in here that just is not gold. Um, and I, I'd echo the, uh, the, the statement Bob said, buy two, uh, one for yourself and, uh, maybe like, a, uh, just one to lend to a friend, you know, uh, just <laughs> spread this love around. <laughs> yeah. Just spread that love around, get people in on this. Cause this is, um, when I came in on it, I, I, on role playing in general, I heard very little about dark ages and, Having gone through this book, um, like started playing a Dark Ages game a year ago, I was uh, I was never a big medieval setting fan, but I was I was kind of mad that I hadn't discovered this book before. Well, that's awesome, folks. I know we took up. Uh, let's see, we're a little over. Uh, yeah, that's some time. One hundred and four minutes. Uh, we'll we'll cut some of it down undoubtedly, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, it's definitely going to be over an hour, and you're welcome for that. Uh, it's all in one rather than two. Trying to keep that hold to uh, what goes on. And uh, thank you for listening this far. We were as less wordy, we had the least amount of wording we could use uh, to get through it for a book we love. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time, guys. Thanks for listening. Take it easy, folks. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, at our email, info at 25YearsVTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25yearsvtm or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.